Welcome everyone to the 37th episode of our B2B Startup Sales Podcast. Today with Andrew Alsop. Welcome, Andrew. Happy to have you here. Thank you, Patrick. Delighted to be on the podcast with you. Cool. Um, Andrew, you founded your own marketing agency um, about five years ago called Wonderkind, and you're supporting B2B tech companies and startups uh, with their marketing efforts. Um, you, before, you were head of marketing for two other companies. How did you come to the decision to start your own agency back like in 2016? Yeah, so I've always been interested in technology from, you know, being a very young, a very young child. Um, and it, it was a sort of natural evolution for me to want to work with technology businesses. Um, I, you know, I, I went for university, studied marketing, really enjoyed the subject, uh, left there, worked for agencies and really sort of found my feet working with technology businesses and helping them acquire customers and, and drive revenue growth. And that was the side of marketing that I really liked a lot more than, you know, the more creatively sort of focused side of things. Mm -hmm. um, so, I've, you know, I did a brief stint in agencies and then uh, a friend of mine was working at a, a technology startup. It was a, a, a an events ticketing platform. So very similar to Eventbrite, a two-sided marketplace. And I went and joined there and went and joined there and worked on growth for them um, and just absolutely loved the ownership that I had over helping them grow from everything from website visits to the number of people listing events to the number of tickets sold and, and the amount of revenue and, and margins generated for the business. So I, yeah, I, I knew where I wanted to focus. I had an idea of the sort of companies that I wanted to focus on. And I, I worked for, after that, I worked for two, two SaaS businesses. So, you know, two uh, software as a services businesses i really enjoyed the model i really enjoyed how quantifiable it was and how easy it was to model out that impact that we were able to you know create from the top of the funnel all the way down to revenue but the issue i had was that <laughs> there wasn't a huge market at that time so i felt that it was difficult to be able to get exposed to the challenges that i needed to, to develop as much as i wanted as a professional um, so my my idea to solve that was to create an agency and and as the name suggests when, when i initially started out on, a, on, on this journey I, is i believe that the solution was was going to be an agency so there was definitely this requirement for some outside help who, who can who can help these sorts, sorts of businesses with the strategy with the execution and the technology side of things and that was a, a struggle that i had so it was difficult hiring because you need someone who's gone for um, you know, who has this, who has this knowledge and, and this sort of grit that is needed to take a company from start to scale up. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really difficult hiring and it was difficult finding uh, services partners who, who understood that as well. Um, so, yeah, my thesis was that I create an agency that was able to deliver all of these things from strategy to execution uh, and, and the sort of technology and data side of things. And it's just sort of evolved from there. I think ultimately now I wouldn't call myself an agency. And I think that as we discussed earlier, I'm not sure that that model is ultimately what is going to solve the issue that I'm trying to solve. Um, but that is how I arrived at this point. 
very cool. Um, congrats to what you've achieved so far, Andrew. Now, your ICP, your c current ICP is like startups and scale-ups. Is that correct? You, you help them with data-driven experimentation in marketing. That's, that's uh, what, I, what I read. Um, is that correct? Correct. So I would describe my ideal customer as someone who has got their initial traction. Um, so mm -hmm. they're starting to get sales coming through, but it's maybe getting to a point where they're beginning to plateau. Uh, so a lot of these businesses will grow in the early days on the back of the networks of the founders and uh, and that sort of thing. But ultimately, those things, uh, you know, you reach, a uh, you reach a local maximum and you have to start adapting your business to hit that you know hit that late majority of the market the people who aren't going to adopt solution without enough uh, without enough validation of the market behind it so i help businesses set up the technology that they need to execute to gather the insights i help them use those insights to then direct the strategy into understanding where they need to focus to hit this this late majority or and a sort of early majority of customer adoption, which of course is is you know the concept crossing the chasm, uh, popular Jeffrey Moore book is is what a lot of technology businesses have to go through, um, and I feel that yeah the whole concept of having to maybe take a step back in how widely you define your market for a lot of founders is unintuitive and, and is scary. Um, so we help them with that and we help them, you know, we guide them through the strategic process all the while having this data to back up that these, that these are the right decisions and that growth is happening. Um, mm. Yeah, so imagine um, two founders approach you and they sold like for two, let's say 10, 10 contracts, whatever size, uh, 10K or, or something. Um, and they don't have sales yet. They don't have any marketing in place yet. What do you think? What, how, do you, how would you go about that, that problem or that, that challenge now to grow the business further? Um, so I think the, the best place to start with anything is is where is their current traction? So what in in this is this presumption? Do they, do they already have customers already? Yeah, they have ten, like ten customers, um, maybe from friends or what that what you what you mentioned, right? What many have at the beginning, a few uh, recommendations and friends who bought from them. Yeah, definitely. So I think you, you need to start with what you need to start with what's working and essentially double down on that. Um, so, you know, one of the benefits of having the technology set up is that we can dig into someone's CRM and data, we can dig into someone's product data, and we can dig into someone's revenue data, and we can see which segments are closing the highest, uh, which segments are the most engaged, where's the highest customer lifetime value. And we can use that to then drive the strategy. That data is, is coming from how do you gather the data and how, how do you make that decisions? Um, so the, the data is gathered. Uh, it, we'd essentially set them up with a, with a you know, foundational sales and marketing stack. So things like website analytics, CRM, marketing automation, product analytics, revenue analytics, uh, you know, sometimes using tools like Tableau and Looker, which are more on the business, business intelligence side of things. 
and we'd help them set those stacks up um yeah and and then and then we'd analyze that data to try and pick out the nuggets of information that we need uh, that are going to drive these sort of strategic and the execution side of things and what would you say if they say uh, if they want to hire someone i mean either sales or marketing person you know either you do some marketing strategies like uh, content marketing for instance or um, publicity on LinkedIn or what, whatever, um, or yeah. they want to hire an, let's say, outbound lead generation salesperson. How yeah. do you think one? How do you, based on what factors, should one make that decision? Because I think it's quite tough um, sometimes. You know, we, for instance, we don't have any marketing in our company at all. We have only three salespeople, mm-hmm. um, so we focus on outbound lead generation solely. And um, I think at some point you should probably also get marketing and i usually say um you have on the right side you have a very extreme case like a company that can approach 50 companies in the whole world that's the that's that's all the icp there is so you probably focus more on outbound lead generation if you have like a million potential customers um you probably focus on other things that because outbound lead generation might not be the most efficient one how do you go about that of course, yeah. So I think this is maybe, yeah, a, a huge gap in, in knowledge that founders have is that, you know, if you imagine a two by two matrix um, and on one axis you have sort of consumer at the bottom and then at the top you have large enterprise and on the other axis you have marketing on one side and then pure sales on the other side. So there's a few factors that come into the dynamics of your business and, and where you fit on this matrix that pretty much define the primary channel that you have to reach your market. So if you are, for example, consumer focused and you need a large amount of relatively low value deals, then you're gonna be in the bottom left of this matrix and, and that you're pretty much, pretty much hamstrung into using marketing tactics to grow. On the other side, if you're you know, targeting large enterprises, then you have you know, the simple dynamics of how the market works and how much, a, how much value a customer provides you in terms of revenue, um, that defines how much you can spend uh, to acquire a user. So that's when you get more into the field sales side of things. And I think a really good example of this, so a lot of people will say, you know, what about companies that sort of span the whole, the whole length of that? And it, it typically doesn't exist. It's, you know, it's, if you take, for example, um, Dropbox and Box, two, two cloud-focused uh, storage solutions. Um, Dropbox, when they started out, were very consumer-focused, so they're very much focused on that marketing side of things. I, I doubt Dropbox had a sales team at that point in time. Box, on the other hand, very enterprise-focused, very much focused on the sales side of things. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of you know, what I would call your go-to-market strategy is is defined by how much a customer is going to pay you and i mean the pricing is is also defined by how large a market is uh, you know depending on your ambitions of your company if, if you're going for a for a small market then you need to be going for large deals and um, so a lot of a lot of those dynamics they they already define the channels that you have available to you and you know of course you can have a blend of these things so and of course you can shift from one market to the other but but ultimately based on um the factors that are in play right now um, a lot of those decisions are, are actually already made for you. 
I really like your matrix, actually. So you have this kind of matrix to, let's say, put the, the, the company on the right space and then decide what kind of tactics to use. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's really cool. Um, and I think very important. I, I fully agree with you with the, they think they are on the whole, um, uh, on the whole space of that or, or cover the whole space of the matrix. I think it's even one of the, also you mentioned crossing the chasm from uh, uh, Geoffrey Moore. I think it's yeah. the, the book. And also he mentions, he also uses another example, Documentum, I guess, who a, a company that also thought at the beginning, yeah, our ICP is, all the big companies above 500 employees, full stop. That that was the ICP. And I think they weren't as successful as after three years when they decided, okay, it's actually, we, we try to focus on regulatory affairs people. That's basically only pharma companies. Um, so the, the ICP went down to 8 million, uh, 8 million market potential. But I guess they got that within within one and a half years. I got the, they, I, they got the full market. So that's what you're mentioning, and this matrix. Not everyone like you don't feel the whole matrix, and if you do, you probably better think about a certain area that you're gonna be strongest in the first round. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every single company that exists, no matter how much funding, and you know, no matter what the situation, there's only there's only a finite amount of resources that you can expend. Um, so you know, there's energy, there's there's your team, there's capital. And if you are not lucky enough to be sort of, you know, rolling a boulder down a hill and chasing it in terms of growth, then it's going to be a, a difficult process to go through to get that momentum in your sales and, you know, and, and to be seeing the revenue growth that you need to see. And I think it's a lot harder to be, to try and learn what you need to do to get sales from multiple different segments from multiple different channels then it is to really focus on the one that is strongest that satisfy that now build a blueprint and then expand that out to other markets and, and i think it's maybe when you're not seeing the growth that you want it gets very easy to to become scared and to sort of um throw the bucket at things and to and to just you know to just try and go large but i think the tactic that i've always found the best is to take a step back look at where you're strong focus on that double down on that get some momentum going and then look at expanding things makes sense yeah definitely what are other traps um besides i think we covered icp now that's that's one trap i guess that you have seen right have you seen a lot of startups who have had a way too broad and you help them to i i i'd say that 80 percent of the companies that i work with can't define uh which segment of the market they serve better than anyone else and i think that that fundamental question defines uh whether you're going to be a success or not um the you know one company I work with, uh, whether whether this was a strategic decision or whether this was just you know how, how they how they built their market. So they by the sort of they they just had a focus that had they built a product that had a very niche focus from the start. And when I first started working with them, I I was actually apprehensive as to how large they would get. Um, but they are by far the fastest growing client that I've ever had. Um, 
and you know on the antithesis of that there's there's pretty much a lot of people when you have these discussions you ask them who the market is and they're like anyone on the internet uh you know the entire world and this sort of stuff and and fair enough maybe there is the potential for ev every single person in the entire world to derive some amount of value out of your product but you only you can only speak to so many people at once and you can either speak to the people that are dying out for a solution that are willing to accept that you know you, you might disappear in two years time or um, you know, that you have a poor user interface or you can speak to the people who are used to using software that is perfect for them, you know, that they use IBM, Salesforce, that they know are going to be around for 10 years' time. And they're ultimately, they're going to be a very difficult sale versus the people who are crying out for a solution. So, you know, it's, you, you have to, when your family are hungry, you have to feed them today. And when you get to a point where, you have a little bit more surplus, that is when you can start to broaden your horizons. Um, and I think it's a case of, you know, uh, again, to use another Jeffrey Moore concept, is to land and expand, find your beachhead in the market, get the momentum going. And when I speak about momentum, it's as much about the belief and, you know, the energy within an, within an organization to feel that they're on the right track, as it is, you know, seeing a graph going up and to the right. I really the the question you were asking sticks. It's going to stick with me. I think. Um, what market are you serving better than anyone else? I I like the question. I've never heard it this way, and it also implies, I guess, because you say than anyone else, that means um, you probably have to do a thorough um, competitor analysis and and look towards those as well to define where are you better than others too. Exactly. Yeah, and. It and it, you know, it gives you some focus. Um, and I think if we look at an example of the CRM market, you couldn't imagine anyone threatening Salesforce 10 years ago, five, 10 years ago. And now you have HubSpot who came in there and HubSpot for the large part of their existence focused on services businesses. I think one of the, one of the major cases that they pushed was a pool services business in, in the US. Um, and look at them now, they're like a multi-billion dollar business um, that are a real threat, you know, when, when the question of which solution do I adopt now, it's always HubSpot or Salesforce. And HubSpot couldn't have done that if they tried to take the same market that Salesforce was trying to take. So Salesforce do try to be a, do try to serve all markets. They, they do try to serve the self-serve side of things, but they don't try as hard as HubSpot did. And that, that was the opportunity that allowed HubSpot to enter the market and to Although it was a small part of the market at first, they could serve that better than anyone else. So they got that momentum, they got that capital. It enabled them to grow. It enabled them to get the case studies in the market that they needed to um, to reach this broader spectrum of the market, which has now enabled them to be, um, a, you know, a multi-billion-dollar organization. I see. Yeah, makes sense. Definitely makes sense. Um, five rapid fire questions andrew to to finish this um these are sales questions though i'm not sure if you have uh, if you actually have uh, and it, we, we designed those ma mainly for sales um but you probably also have an opinion on these let's see what do you prefer um one dollar revenue from new or existing clients existing definitely huge fan of retention 
How come? Um, I just feel that retention is a huge opportunity. Um, you know, if you were to look at the amount of paid acquisition experts in the field versus the amount of retention experts, it's going to be extremely weight more weighted towards acquisition side the side of things. And I think that is that is reflected in a lot of where people focus in organizations. People focus on acquisition um, a lot more than retention. And don't get me wrong, acquisition is extremely important. You know, the, the power concept, the, the more customers you have, the larger amounts of high retaining customers you have. Um, there's, there's actually a term for it, I can't quite remember. Um, but I just find the whole concept of retention interesting. Retention proves that your solution is driving more value. So there's a sort of, there's, there's a wholesome side of it. Um, and you know, the, the, the better you can retain a user, the more aggressive you can be on the acquisition side of things. So, you know, whoever can pay the most wins in markets, basically. Um, if I can retain a customer for two years and you can only retain a customer for one year, I can afford to pay twice as much as you if we both you know, charge the same amount of money per year. So definitely retention. I like that view, and I think our CEO would like that uh, that as well. I think all the positive side effects uh, that come with with retention, the retention, sorry, like referrals, and uh, uh, like the positive brand you have in the market. I think those side effects are are huge potentially. That's what. Yeah. Now, if you get a 100k bonus, Andrew, do you want it in cash or stock options? Uh, stock options. Stock options. Um, yeah, if you know, if, if I'm working for an organization, I want 100% belief in the organization, and I want my, I, you know, going back to why I started this anyway was was to be making an impact on the revenue of a business and the growth of a business. Um, so, I want, yeah, I want to be incentivized if if I'm achieving that. Yeah. Okay, next one is if you can hire a junior sales rep for 50K or a senior sales rep for 150K, which one do you take? I think we can also put that into marketing perspective. I'm not sure if the difference is so huge in marketing or is huge. I mean, necessarily isn't in sales either. But what yeah. would you think about that question? Um, so this is actually something that has been going through my mind quite a lot. So I actually think I would hire the, I, I, well, I, I'd hopefully hire three younger sales, younger marketing uh, professionals on, on 50K rather than one senior or 150. Um, I could go into this, I do have the time. John? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so, I mean, essentially, you know, foundationally, I call the business Wunderkind, which is a German word for a high potential young person. Um, and my whole dream was to create an organization that took people from entering the market as a, as a, you know, as a professional in marketing and turn them into someone who, like I always dreamed of, could make a huge impact on a business in terms of revenue and, you know, get the same satisfaction out of, out of being a marketing professional as I do. Um, and I think that you need a lot of, energy and you need a lot of belief and you need to understand technology and, and all that side of stuff to you know to work with with technology businesses and, and high growth technology businesses and, and you know the ones that did, that require a lot of your energy and your enthusiasm to you know to sort of execute on day to day um yeah and i just feel that someone 
who is on the latter side of their marketing years maybe don't have that you know they have a lot of there's definitely a requirement there's definitely a need for that strategic nuance and and um and that side of things but do do they you know do, does a does a a 20-year marketing professional do they have the knowledge of what it takes to, to grow a technology business in, in in the vein of what technology businesses look like today they probably didn't exist you know 10 10 years ago especially in where i'm based so 100 percent give me the younger person mm, cool um what was your number one source of improving or what is your number one source of improving your marketing skills looking at customer data speaking to customers uh mixed mixing qualitative and quantitative feedback i like that because we usually or usually people would say you know some books or podcasts or something like this uh, yesterday uh, the guy mentioned as well uh, talking to customers you mentioned the same i like that i like that answer i haven't like expected it at the first place either i wasn't thinking of it either but it's actually practical knowledge is the most important by far um absolutely like, I think every, every every standout program I've been a part of has come from speaking to customers and getting some some kind of insight from the market that we would have never got from, you know, books or speaking within a meeting. Yeah. And the last one, what do you wish you would have known when you were 20? What do I wish I would have known when I was 20? Um, take risks. Take more risks. I think the... Um, when it comes to business the upside of a risk is far greater than the downside of a risk i think there's a i think it's called asymmetrical upside so you yeah the more risk you take the exposure to the upside you get is is massive whereas if you were to fail then it's it's you just go back to the status quo it's either you can you can stay on the status quo or you can take a punt at growth um, and no matter which one you take you pretty always you, you pretty much always end up back on the status quo good end point andrew um one last thing how can our users reach out to you the best place to find me is twitter so at andrew Walsop. keep it simple or you can type in aa.marketing into your browser Oh, cool. I have to try that. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a little redirect trick. Thank you, Andrew, for being here. It was a pleasure and very interesting to talking to you. See you soon. Nice one. Thanks a lot, Patrick.